as much as I wanted to teach, I also wanted to be a part of kids' lives being interwoven with each other because it's an egregious mistake when we separate our kids. Welcome to the latest episode of The Conversation. I'm your host, Matt Price. And today with me, we've got State Senator Joyce Elliott. Senator Elliott, we're so glad you're here today. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So today we wanted to talk about the Little Rock School District. That can be a very complicated topic for a lot of people. And I think a lot of folks don't have a good starting point for that. But before we dive into that, you're an educator. I'd love to hear about your background as an educator. Well, I decided when I was one of those students who was a part of forced integration in Nevada County in in a little town called Willisville, Arkansas. We were rather early on, in fact, that was 1964, whereas major integration took part in the 70s, uh, middle 70s, actually. But I always looked up to my teachers, and I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, But the other thing I wanted to do, too, was be a broadcaster from (laughs) some French-speaking country, and to me, that just (laughs) meant France. So I prepared myself, basically, to do both of those things, and when I had to decide, I knew when I started teaching in the early 70s, 1973, in fact, that teaching was simply more important than pursuing broadcasting. And the other thing I had decided at age 17, that I'm a Southerner, I this is my land too, I had decided I was going to make a life in the South and in Arkansas and not leave as well. So that really put aside the thing about going to uh, France or wherever to try to stay for a while. But kids deserved better than I had had in my integration situation. I never had a black teacher after that time. Prior to that, I'd gone to an all-black school. Mm. And I was determined that I would be a teacher, and I would be the kind of teacher that all kids needed. And so my first teaching job, uh, I was lucky. I had several offers when I graduated from college. But I deliberately chose a school where they had never had uh, a full-time black teacher at that school. And it was a really good decision to have made. And what what school was that? This this was New Boston School, New Boston School District, just right outside of Texarkana. And it was a good experience. But for the kids, both black and white, that's mostly what it was at that time. It was a major big deal, I think, in their lives because they simply had not had that. And as much as I wanted to teach... I also wanted to be a part of kids' lives being interwoven with each other because it's an egregious mistake when we separate our kids. So I looked at my life as as a student going through some things, thinking I was changing it for today. Turns out maybe not so much. We regressed in a a lot of ways. But I taught school for 30 years. I taught English and uh, speech communication. Absolutely love it. Still miss teaching. And it was the best thing I could have done with my life. So education took you into politics. Actually, education, I went from education into politics, informed by education. But I'd wanted to be in politics since I was 10 years old, (laughs) 9 or 10. Whenever John F. Kennedy was running for office is how long I wanted to be in politics. And I knew I was going to teach, but I also knew as well, I will run for office one day. I will be in politics. And that was because, as I said, growing up in the South, in South Arkansas as well, seeing especially older Black people just whispering, bent over, having to do things that were so demeaning. 
And for some reason, when John F. Kennedy was running for office, I saw those same people stand up straight and talk out loud. Whether it was true or not, they sensed that things were going to be different because of this man. I didn't have really the words for politicians and what all it meant, but what I carried with me from that is, I want to do that someday. If this is the effect it can have on people, and that is what got me into politics. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was a natural that, you know, once you got into politics, that education would be one of your primary issues. It absolutely was. Yes, it absolutely was. And and I could see the difference uh, for being there as well. Didn't Mm -hmm. always turn out to be all I wanted it to be, but... It was a good thing I was there. I think it's, it still is. Right. Mm-hmm. Since you've been in politics, you know, you've been very outspoken on education. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about the role you kind of see for yourself in the yes. larger kind of education yes. debate? I think I'm fortunate in some ways, as I said. I, I'm pretty fortunate growing up in the South, although it was tough to do for many reasons. But I haven't grown up bitter as a result of that. So the experiences I had in the all-black school, uh, living a life of poverty like a lot of people did, is not anything different. And then going to an integrated school and making a decision to go to Southern Arkansas University and be a mule rider, a small school, very Mm -hmm. few black kids there at that Mm -hmm. time as well. I've walked this path where I've seen so much and learned so much. I've seen the beginning of our deciding we're going to do something about making schools great institutions for all kids, for that determination that we had and for the commitment that we had. And we made great strides right up through, I would say, in the early 80s, we were doing really, really well. We were determined our kids were not going to be separated black and white or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Uh, We were determined to make it work until, of course, people become started to become a bit inconvenienced by it. (laughs) It seems everything worked really well when all of the burden basically were on the black kids because it was always the black kids and the black families who were asked to come over here and we don't have to come to your neighborhoods. And so that burden has always been borne by the black, by the uh, African American kids for the most part. And then, so that, that of course is true with the neighborhoods as well. I, I, I have lived and seen neighborhoods where It's a predominantly white neighborhood, a few blacks move in, but you can almost mark it when you start to see, and I read some research about this, when you get to that 30% critical mass, in this case, I'm talking about African-Americans, maybe same too with Hispanics, Latinos, then whites start to move out or start to move away. Because what the research generally suggests is when when it gets to that critical 30% or so, People who are not used to being around somebody very differently sees that as double. So it's more like 60%. Mm. It becomes all those black kids, all those black families. Rather than deal with that in terms of our own perceptions, our own biases, and all the pathologies we've all grown up with, we move away from each other. Right. So it is that moving away from each other all the time that we tend to do and act as if things are going to be different when they simply aren't as well demonstrated for us. That's a perfect segue into, you know, again, I wanted to kind of create a a starting point for folks that don't have a lot of background on the Little Rock School District and just the history. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think most people are familiar, um, everyone should be familiar with Mm -hmm. the Central High Crisis in the 50s. But up until, you know, 
I guess it was 84 with the DSEG case. Yes. And then the impact that had going forward. And now, I mean, we're still seeing seeing the ramifications of that and then the ending of that. Yeah, we are. And people will say, well, haven't we done that? As it turns out, no, we haven't. Some people made some valiant efforts at doing so. But when we had the uh, DSEG ruling, many school districts, especially in the Pulaski County school school district, but many of our school districts kind of took that to heart at first, although people were very angry and they, you know, created programs that were attractive to several different people. We tried to do better. Teachers went through cultural competency training, which was something really important to do. Mm-hmm. We went through that. Then, of course, and churches in this churches in this city really need to rethink what they've done because churches started building more schools. Folks start West Little Rock started to get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And rather than many times go to the schools that were nearby you, churches and uh, I guess I, I should say houses of worship. Period have really enabled, and maybe not knowingly, but encouraged this separation that we have right now. And uh, when you think about that, and then think about the way we just kind of bastardized charter schools, because they were they were not meant to be these agents of competition. Right. They were meant to be uh, labs where we learned about labs, by the way, owned and operated by the school districts right. themselves. Right. Where in this charter school, I would learn everything, uh, many things I needed to solve problems and do better. Yeah. Well, we had all of these forces coming in uh, that started, uh, I think, on steroids about the same time. And it scattered our forces. Mm-hmm. And people started running away, moving away even more from each other. And then we had district lines for those who were going to remain in the public schools in Little Rock. We had the, the zoning lines drawn in such a way that... Certain kids got to go to Central, for example, from West Little Rock in Hillcrest Heights and so forth. Yeah. And some of the kids who live right in the Central area don't get to go to Central. That happened, I think, because we wanted to be able to say, I'm still in public schools, but almost everybody you hear, every, almost every white person you hear who says that they are still in public schools in Little Rock is either central or it's Parkview. But right. nine times out of ten, it's central. And that's because we didn't work together to make all of our schools great schools. Right. And that can never happen as long as we don't recognize those who can make these decisions to move away are disadvantaging their kids with their privilege. It is an absolute disadvantage as much as it is for the child who is going to the school you would never send your child to. Right. Because the mistake you're making is you are fighting hard to prepare your child for our world, not their world, mm-hmm. because their world is going to be so different. And we can never be the place, we can never be the city, the state you want your children and your grandchildren to live in unless we're doing something about trying to make sure we have great schools for everybody. Right. You're not finished until you do. Right. So, well, and we were, uh, yeah. yeah, and we yeah. were talking about that right before right before we started. I hear so many people say, you know, I want to do what's best for right. my kids. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people that's obvious. That's and I, right. and I feel like 
it's a very narrow view yes. of yes. doing what's best for their children. Matt, it's kind of it's kind of like trying to persuade me that water is wet. Right. I mean, it's, right. It's, it's, right. We, nobody's right. questioning that. Yeah. But what people will do is use that to shut down the conversation. Mm-hmm. When you say that, you have not even begun a conversation, and maybe you don't mean to, but you, you don't intend to, but you should, because there's nobody who doesn't want the best for their kids. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge people to think about the best for your kids can never be until we're doing at least the good for the rest of the kids. And we, we can't have a city that's cohesive. We can't have a state or a country if we're all just going to retreat into our little pods Right. And do what's best for our kids. You know, it's, as I mentioned to you earlier, my granddaughter goes to Dolly Elementary School. Mm-hmm. Probably there are people aghast that, oh, my God, I would never let my child right. go to Dodd Elementary. What my right. word is that? But the reason her, her mom and dad, and we certainly support her grandparents, we think it's an excellent decision because Dodd is not, especially what you see in some of the, the you know, the private schools. When you look at the building and so forth, but she's getting a great education there. Mm-hmm. But the thing of it is, she's getting a great education beyond just right. academics. Well, and the research bears yeah. that out, too. I mean, it, the, it, the strongest indicator of a child's success is the higher education attainment of the parents, That's of right. the, the That's person right. who's raising the child. So I feel like that always gets lost in that doing what's best for the child. That's right. Because a lot of times the birth lottery, mm-hmm. right? It's like it, if you're born to, yeah. to to parents who have a higher educational right. attainment, they're probably going to do That's better right. anyway. I, that is, because now look at it, well, you know, so if my granddaughter or my child won the lottery, the lottery is just what it says. It's by chance. They mm-hmm. didn't do anything right. to, to be in that position. Right. And so that's why I just feel as a teacher, you know, as a, a politician, as a, as just as a human being, I just feel... I feel very much obligated to the chances of all kids to do well. They don't need to do well because they beat the odds. Right. You know, we need to make sure the odds are changed, and, and that right. takes everybody. Yeah. Right. So I want to ask you a few specific questions about the current situation that, that the Little Rock School District finds itself right. in, and we as a city, because LRSD is a big impactor mm-hmm. on the quality of life of this mm-hmm. city. The state took over control in 2015. Right. Um, they claim because of there were certain failing schools. Mm-hmm. What was the public perception? Because I think there was also this maybe I don't know if it's a counter narrative or another narrative mm-hmm. about there was just complete dysfunction at the school mm-hmm. board school board level. Can you add a little bit of perspective there on you know the on local control? And there was definitely some conflict sure. at the school board Absolutely. level. I will point out to people, it, there was conflict, there's no question about it, but conflict, not so unlike conflict we've had all along, mm-hmm. but it the thing that was that seemed different to me is, was there, you know, we have social media and, every, and everything right. else, and there's no question there were people in the district who thought it was just total chaos, or, and I don't, I don't agree with that. I think conflict is very much the, the best word. I've not seen a school board yet that didn't have conflict. But some things that were different, and you can make what you want of it. You know, we had a predominantly black school board then. Mm-hmm. I've seen conflict that was just as pronounced other than when it, the predominant black school board. So I'm not suggesting that is the reason that people saw it as so much a bigger thing as much as 
I suspect that might have had something to do with it. Because the thing I know, one of the things I always caution people about, get to know more deeply, please, what you're talking about, rather than just going with what's sensational. Right. And it was easy to be sensationalizing about that board, because I do know, as much as they might have had some conflicts, they were trying to get this school district on the right path. Mm -hmm. That school district didn't get in the position it's in under that board. That board had hardly been elected. And uh, so, but all of a sudden, I was at the state board meeting the day that they voted to overtake the schools. And so while there was some disenchantment with the board in the community at large, it came largely from the Chamber of Commerce uh, a group. Mm-hmm. They came to the board, they came to that state board and encouraged the board and practically begged the, the board to take over the district. And I remind people there were 48 schools in our district at the time, six of them, six were in uh, academic distress, according to state scores. That was not a critical enough mass, I think, to be taken over the entire school district because the board could have done something else. But we had powerful people there begging them to take over the school district, just do something, some of them even said. That, when you have a powerful voice like that, people tend to hear you 10 times more than they do. Right. Just the average person who just wants their child to go to school every day. And so for the folks who live north of 630, when it appeared there might be some threat to, to the Little Rock School District with the, not with a takeover, but with the, a charter bill where somebody could come in and take over the whole school district. Hmm. It was a bill we had in the legislature. Right. Folks on the north side were outraged and the south side. So we were all outraged together and pretty much outraged at the takeover as well until it became evident that Absolutely nothing was going to happen to schools north of 630, except, you know, Woodruff was closed. Right. But all, once again, when I talk about the burden, mm-hmm. we started talking about we had to close yeah. schools and everything else, the burden fell right south of, of 630. And so that the state took over, I think, was wholly unnecessary because whatever we're doing now could still have been done with the hand of the state doing some guiding But the other hard thing that people need to realize is that it is not unusual across this country where there are predominantly black and brown kids in this country. That's where that's where powerful people are taken over the school district. Right. Without regard to the folks who bear the burden. Yeah. And that's the sort of perspective that I think a lot of folks aren't able to aren't able to get. I feel like when people are talking about school district issues today Mm -hmm. or the last 10 years. It's the dysfunction. You know, there's this just perception of dysfunction. Right. Um, I feel like without taking a real historical, Uh looking at it at the very least Mm -hmm. in the past 15 to 20 years to understand that there's a much larger narrative Mm -hmm. here. And it's easy to get, I think, mired in the day to day, but the same themes are present. That's right. You know, and again, it's a hard conversation for a lot of people to have. I mean, they don't, people don't want to admit that that this is a largely racial issue. It is. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I think that's very hard for a lot of people to to acknowledge. It it, it is very much so because to acknowledge it, I think people feel somehow admitting I'm complicit in something that has Mm -hmm. happened that is a bad thing. We cannot fix, I don't think, what's happening in the Little Rock School District. And I don't mean dysfunction. I mean people moving away from each other. 
and always, you know, using legitimately, I want the best for my kid to not think about the whole. Right. And that just, that just can't, that just cannot work. Because if you don't take some time and understand why we got here, and it literally pretty much started falling apart when there was more burden seemingly going to be expected of, well, white kids that might have to go to these normally all black schools right. that were, that's when it started to kind of unravel some. And, and then when churches and, when churches and others began to build more schools, these are the institutions that are supposed to be bringing us together. Mm-hmm. But I guess it makes sense when you look at how uh, <clears throat> segregated our churches are as well. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, right. It's such a, such a dichotomy yeah. there. Last thing I want to say about that is you can't, if you're not going to take time to understand what you think is dysfunction, you ought to be really careful about just buying into the dysfunction. Like right. When's the last time you have been into a school? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you, a special school that has kids in it predominantly who don't look like your kids? Right. Because I believe if if we took the time to get to know each other, I have no no doubt about that. We would do better. Yep. So if there is dysfunction, I can promise you the people mainly responsible are the people. Right. <laughs> right. That's exactly people. right. Well, and that's in. Yeah, I was I was even thinking about that yesterday when I was just kind of preparing for this. People got us into this, and it's going to take people to get us out of that it. That is exactly right. And that kind of goes to my. I just have two final questions. Okay. The first one is, what is it going to take to see real meaningful change? I really think uh, it's it's not going to take so much laws. I mean, there are some laws that need to be changed. I don't doubt that. But if we don't all take some personal responsibility, as much as we like to talk about people taking some Mm -hmm. personal responsibility, and decide, I am going to do my part to make sure every school in this city is a great school, and a school that I wouldn't mind if my child went to. Right. So I think it's going to take some intentionality of, of a, you know, we have to figure out a way to come together and think long-term. I wanted the state to do this, but I don't think the state's ever going to do this. If we do what highest performing countries in the world have done, for example, who take a 25, 30-year long-range look at what they want education to be. And my best example of that is Estonia. Estonia, that it's only been a country when the USSR broke up in right. 1991 or so. And now Estonia, time after time, is one of the highest performing school uh, countries in the world. Yeah. But it's also about the size of Arkansas. Right. The right. same thing is true about Finland. It's because the people of a, are of one mind. When it comes to education, they're not pulling apart and creating this little school and that little school and and more than anything else, no matter where you go to school in these countries, the overriding thing is you absolutely cannot predict how well they will do in school according to their income. Hmm. So equity is the watchword there. Right. It's more that I can talk about here, but we have to come together. It, it may be hard for the state. I said, okay, if the state is not going to do it, how about Little Rock do it? I am certain Little Rock can do this. Yeah. No matter what neighborhood you live in, and people like to talk about zip codes, and, and and that is just so. I mean, that's maddening to me. They feel good when they say kids need to have a great education, no matter what zip code they live in. So let's put a charter school there, or let's make sure we have choice so they can leave this neighborhood. If you do that, you've not done anything about the neighborhood. So what you want to fix is the zip code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is the zip code itself? So if your child ends up going to school in that zip code. 
you won't find yourself running away trying to find a private school or some other option. Right. And a, a side note on the Estonia piece, it's an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting country for a lot of reasons. It is, uh, yes. Another reason is they actually are the first country to give everyone a blockchain mm-hmm. ID. So they're actually doing some oh, distribution wow. of public benefits uh-huh. over uh-huh. blockchain. Over blockchain. Yeah, so it's a really yeah. it's a really interesting uh, yeah. yeah, and we talk about Finland all the time. Finland's about the size of Arkansas and then people say, "Oh, but they are not like us." Okay, one of the, we studied all these countries. Yeah. And so the other well, okay, there's Canada. Canada is always about number 3. Right. What are you going to say about Ontario? Toronto is <laughs> the most diverse city probably in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so that leads me to the last question okay. I wanted to ask you. What gives you hope? Mm-hmm. What, looking forward, are you hopeful about? On a personal note, I read one time, I heard somebody say or something, it just takes too much energy to be pessimistic. It's, you know, it's, not, it's <laughs> right. not an option. But what gives me hope, though, is I know for sure our kids deserve better, and we're not making sure they have it. And we can't give up on something because we get tired. Mm -hmm. Because if that were the case, you know, I've been at this at least since I was 15. We can't give up because of that. And I know I see kids who are not like us, who want the chance to do better and be better and be among each other because every time they are, they figure out a way to make it work if adults get out of the way. But more than that, even when they are, I think with great leadership and vision from just everyday people, not waiting for everybody else to be the leader. It's not, there is no the leader in this. Wherever you are, what can you do? But the thing that gives me hope is that you know we will go through these cycles, then try to claw our way out. We're certainly at the bottom of a cycle now, where I think we have a it's a propitious time for us to begin to claw our way out. Because in the end, I do believe everybody wants to do better. Somebody, though, does just have to paint the vision. And that's why I spent so much time studying other great educational systems and see what they did. And the one thing they did that's kind of an overall, they got to where they are by studying America and what we were doing. Because 50 years ago, we were the leaders, right? like the Finlands and, the, and Japan and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they said, and we had these, these people from these countries speak with us, the group that were studying in these countries, and the one thing they said is, we use United States research to be where we are, and we don't understand why you don't, almost as laughing when they said it. Wow. So I'm, 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 I'm optimistic that one of these days, maybe real soon, we'll recognize that moving apart, creating more schools is not the thing that's going to help us dividing our neighborhoods further, and then just maybe finding a way to look out for each other because we still are a young experiment, mm-hmm. but we're growing up, right. <laughs> and we need to act like grown-ups. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah. Senator Elliott, thanks so much for being here today and uh, My pleasure. having this conversation. And thanks again for listening to the latest episode of The Conversation. <laughs>